For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 15. You're going to want to have it in front of you this morning. So either on your phone or in the book, go ahead and turn or tap with me to Romans, chapter 15. I want to say thank you to the worship team. Uh, so appreciate you guys using your gifts to serve our body this morning. And Pastor David's absence. Pastor David is at dad camp this week. And uh, I know there's always some nerves when he's not up here with them uh, leading worship. And so but you guys did a great job this morning. Really appreciate you serving in that way. So yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. All right, well, this is week three of our four-week sermon or sermon series on missions so we're halfway through it now week three of four weeks sermon series that we are calling to every nation tribe and tongue it's been hopefully a uh, challenging convicting couple of weeks for you I know it has been for me and it's only going to get more convicting from here so sorry to say that to you this morning but we've got some things that we need to see in God's word and first week that uh, we uh, spent in this series we saw we kind of did a, a high level overview of the Bible and we saw that from Genesis all the way to Revelation there's a thread running all the way through God's word that shows us God's heart for every nation tribe and tongue to be worshiping him so we start started off in Genesis chapter 1. God had created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, and he made Adam and Eve, and it was very good, and he blessed them, and he gave them a job to do, right? What did he say? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, even before the fall, God's plan was to have worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we know that that went poorly with Adam and Eve. So then God kind of hits the reset button, floods the whole earth, and saves one family, Noah's family, a righteous family. And he saves them and delivers them. And he gives them, at the end of the whole ordeal, the exact same mission that he gave to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And uh, they did a pretty poor job of that. And just a few chapters later, things are going really badly at the Tower of Babel, where there's this whole group of people. They say, let's build a tower all the way to heaven and make a name for ourselves. And you remember the reason that they said they were going to build that tower was lest we be scattered all over the earth. So at the Tower of Babel, they were uh, building that tower in direct defiance to God's original command to fill the earth with worshipers. They said, we don't want to fill the earth. We want to stay right here and make a name for ourselves. We don't want to make God's name great. We want to make our own name great. And so what does God do? <laughs> Scatters them all over the earth, right? But he confuses their language. And so now part one of God's plan is complete, is that the earth is filled with people. And to this day, the earth is filled with people, a lot more people now than there were back then at the Tower of Babel. And so the earth is filled with people, but it is not yet filled with worshipers. So what does God do? He says, I'm going to take a couple of nobodies, a couple of elderly, childless people, and I'm going to make a whole nation out of them. They're going to be a great nation. Their descendants are going to outnumber the sands and the sea and the stars and the sky. He says, I'm going to give you my law, and I'm going to teach you how to have a perfect relationship with me and a perfect relationship with your neighbor. And I'm going to set you up in this place called the promised land so that anytime the nations pass through, they will be able to see what it looks like to have a relationship with me and have a relationship with your neighbor. And so God does that and is faithful to them over and over and over and over again. 
And how does Israel do? Really bad. They're unfaithful over and over and over again. We took like a zoomed in look at that in Judges, right? And we saw things actually got really, 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 really bad when left to their own devices. So they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't make worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue until God sent his son, the true Adam, the true Israel, to do what we couldn't do on our own. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And then he died in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. And he rose again and he conquered death so that we don't have to fear death anymore. Anyone who follows him. And right before he ascended into heaven, what does Jesus do? He gives his disciples a mission. And what is that mission? Is it a new mission? Is it a new mission? No, it's the same mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that is what brings us to right where we are this very day. You see these banners around the sanctuary with the names of 7,500 people groups who have not yet heard the name of Jesus Christ, representing over 3 billion people who have never heard. Not that they don't believe, but they've never heard because nobody has been able to come and tell them. And so we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. We live in this in-between time now, this time in between the great commission of Christ and the end of things in Revelation chapter 5, when we see that every nation, tribe, and tongue will one day be worshiping around the throne. And the point is this, is that missions is temporary. Missions is temporary. We're not going to have missions in eternity because Christ is going to accomplish his plan and his purpose. But that's not where we're at right now. We still have a job to do. So that was what we saw in week one. In week two, we saw the importance of the message that we go to bring because people, just because you go somewhere and bring a message doesn't mean you are bringing the true message of salvation. And so we saw that anything more or less than the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God is a false gospel. And we are called to guard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this week we're going to be talking more about specifically the mission that we have been given we're going to be talking about all of the names on these banners, how we're called to go and bring the gospel to the unreached. And at the end of our time, I'm going to invite my friend Dustin up, just like uh, Bill came up last week. I'm going to invite him up to share. And last week, I told you I was going to try to do my part in 20 minutes, and you doubted me, and you were right about that. It was 23 minutes, but I was close, so I'm going to do my best this morning, and then we're going to have Dustin, and Dustin's got some great things to share with us this morning. So let me pray quickly as a long introduction. Let me pray, and then we will jump into Romans chapter 15. Heavenly Father, Lord, just, just want to pray one more time, God, that you open our eyes to these things in your word. Help us to see it. Captivate us with the things that captivate you, God. God, my heart is so prone to be captivated by all sorts of lesser things. Captivate me with the things that captivate you. Motivate me with the things that motivate you. Give me eyes to see things the way that you see them, God. Make that true of all of us. Make that true of our church. Help us to see what you want us to see in Romans chapter 15 this morning. Bless the reading of our, your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, 
talked a little bit about the fact that uh, Romans, the book of Romans, is at its core, at its heart, a missionary support letter. That's what it is. It is uh, the most theologically dense missionary support letter that ever written, but that's what it is. It's a missionary support letter. Paul is writing to his friends in Rome, talking to them about where he's been and where he's going and how he hopes to see them and how he would like for them to continue to pray for him and to, and to financially support the mission that he's on. It's just like any kind of missionary support letter that you might receive today. That's what the book of Romans is. And so when we get to the end of Romans in chapter 15, we shouldn't be surprised that Paul is kind of talking philosophically a little bit about what his calling is and what it means to be a missionary. And we actually spent a little bit of time in Romans 15 last week. We stopped at verse 18, where Paul talks about the fact that everything he does is for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you remember we saw these kind of two almost dual realities going on at the same time. That God accomplishes His purposes according to His power. It's God's power that's doing it. And yet, for whatever reason, God chooses to use yahoos like you and me to do His will. Why does He do that? We talked about this last week. Remember, we said God could speak a word and every single person of the three billion represented on these banners, like every single one could just, boom, have a Bible in their language dropped in their lap right this moment by God speaking a word. Why doesn't God do that? I don't know exactly. Other than to say we just trust that God acts in the way that's going to bring himself the most glory. And so he is most glorified by using his church, his people, to accomplish his purposes by his power. We talked about this last week. It's easy to just kind of slip in, even just in your own life, in your own ministry, right where you are. It's just easy to kind of slip into the things that are comfortable for you. But God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to just stay right in our comfort zone. He wants to use us for his glory and by his power. And so we talked about that. What's motivating me? Is God's glory the thing that motivates me in my life? Or is it something else? That's what we saw last week. And then in verse 19... I love this. Paul starts to say some things that sound a little crazy when you first read it. In fact, I'm just, just look with me right now at verse 19. I love Paul, and some of the things he says are just amazing. So look at this, verse 19, talking about himself as a missionary, and then he says, So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I, get this, have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not a present tense verb. He's not saying, I am fulfilling the ministry of gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going around to these places and I'm doing the ministry of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you or I would say it, right? That's how I, I am fulfilling the ministry that God's given me in Tipton right now. That's not what Paul says. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, there's nobody misspeaks in God's word, but just in case you didn't get it the first time, he kind of re-says that again and skip down to verse 22. He re reiterates it. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. He says, so I, this is why I haven't been able to visit you. I've been wanting to come visit, and I haven't been able to. Verse 23, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. This is what Paul's saying. He says, I've been in Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which is a big area, lots of major cities. He says, I haven't been able to visit you because I've been doing ministry there, but now I've fulfilled the ministry. And not only has he fulfilled it, he says, there's no more room for me to work there. I don't even have anything else to do. What if I said that to you on a Sunday morning? Church, I got to tell you, I've been doing ministry in Tipton two and a half years now, and I got nothing else to do. There's no more ministry to be done here. That's it. So I'll, uh, I'll see you later. You can't even fathom that, right? That's what Paul says. What does he mean? Could Paul possibly mean that everyone he's come in contact with, every single person in every one of these places, has become a Christian? Like he's that good of an evangelist, right? That he's gone and he's like waiting for like the last holdout in Illyricum. And then like once he finally got that last person, now he can move on to somewhere else. Do you think that's what Paul means? No. What does Paul mean? How can he say he has already fulfilled the ministry? Here's what he means. There's churches there. There's churches there. He's been there long enough to see believers raised up become elders and deacons, self-sustaining churches. And now it's time for him to move on. And we see this in verse 20. Look at this. I love this. And thus I make it my ambition. This is my goal, Paul says. This is what God, this is the mission that God has given me. This is it. To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. Why? Lest I build on someone else's foundation. My job as a missionary, Paul says, isn't to go where the gospel has already been preached. Isn't to go where Christ has already been named. Isn't to go where there's already people believing. Why? Because that's someone else's foundation. A.K.A. that's the church's job. So what motivates Paul? Verse 21, as it is written, I love it. This, what motivates Paul in his whole life is this verse in Isaiah. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, that's my job. That verse applies to my life. I am called to go and preach the gospel where Christ has not been named because God's word promises me when I do that, those who have never heard will see and those who have never believed will believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for these other places, that's someone else's foundation. There's churches there. You see how this applies to us? You see it? We don't need any missionaries from China to come to Tipton to preach the gospel. Well, imagine if we did. What kind of an indictment would that be on our church? We got believers here. We got 300 people at Rock Prairie Church who are perfectly capable of sharing the gospel. And we got a lot of other churches in Tipton County, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. It's our job now. It's our foundation. We're called. God put us here. He planted this church 160-some years ago. And he brought us here to the old Lincoln Elementary building for a reason. Because we're called to reach this area. It's not the missionary's job anymore. It's our job to reach this area. And if it weren't for the names on all these banners, that could be the only thing that we focused on. 
But the truth is that many still have not yet heard. God's word promises us that those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is our mission. That's why we say, who are we as a church? What are we called to do? To make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. It's both. God put us here for a reason. Yet we're also called to send out people to go to the nations where Christ has never been told. So how are we doing with this is the question. How are, let's not even just think about Rock Prairie Church. How are we as the capital C church in America, how are we doing with reaching these people, these, these uh, people groups on these banners? How are we doing right now? The answer, unfortunately, is not very good. And we actually have a video that we're going to show you now that's going to talk about uh, how we are doing as a church, capital C church in America, with reaching the unreached. If you want to go ahead and roll that. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%? They're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only one one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the three billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are 
are we okay with this? We want those three billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that He does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all people. sobering to, to hear those statistics and think about it. I mean, less than 3% of our missionaries who are going, I mean, think about what, you know, how many people go. 97% of them are going to places that have already been reached, and well, how much, what kind of small percentage of our budgets go to missions? Well, 99% of that is going to places that have already been reached. And, and hear, hear me clearly on this, because I'm not saying that this is the only work that's valuable. We have missionary partners in places that have technically been reached with the gospel, and yet they're still doing incredible work. I'm talking, think about uh, the butlers in Ghana. Think about missionary partners in Romania that's like spiritually dark and becoming darker by the day. So we're not saying that like this is the only thing that matters what I'm saying is we have to have a category for this what Paul talks about in Romans about preaching the gospel where Christ has not been named we wouldn't have to if it were not for the overwhelming task that is in front of us it's an imbalance it's what it is and so we need to make sure that we do what we can to help correct that imbalance you might be thinking well pastor Mike this is just too big for us, like it's, it's too much. You're right. Two things. A, it's not too big for God. He's the one who gave us the mission. He's going to carry it out. He's going to see to it that his power carries out his mission, number one. Number two, if every church says it's too big for us, we're not going to get anywhere with the task that is in front of us. We cannot reach all 7,500 people groups, Rock Prairie Church in Tipton, we can't do it. But here's my dream, Rock Prairie. Can we reach one? Can we reach one? Can we be a church, A, that cares about this, like deeply cares about this because it's so near to God's heart? Can we just be a church that cares about this, number one? I'm not saying we're all going to go. We're not all going to go. We're not all called to go. I don't feel called to go. Are we going to be a church that cares about this? About the three billion people living and dying without ever, ever, ever hearing the name of Jesus. Can we be a church that sends some? Maybe the Lord will draw our hearts toward a certain people group and maybe we'll be able to send some of our own. Train them well. Support them well. And send them off in a manner worthy of God. 
For those who are not called to go, maybe you're called to just like give generously, amply with your finances so the people that we send are just so well supported. We'd be a church that prays, that like prays for the missionaries that we've sent and the people that they are sent to and the people by name that they are ministering the gospel to. We'd be a church that praise can we be a church that supports them spiritually because it's hard and it's a lonely work can we be a church that for those that we do send say yours you're not alone you're not going to feel alone because we are here with you and for you and we are praying for you lord willing rock prairie can you imagine if one day in heaven we meet a, some people you say, nobody ever came and told us about Jesus until some people from Rock Prairie Church in Tipton, Indiana came and told us about Jesus. We'd be that kind of church. Not to our glory, not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we've done, but to God's glory. Because he deserves it. I want to be that kind of church. We're going to talk more about this next week. What this can look like for you right here, right now. This week I'm super excited to have my friend Dustin here. And uh, sharing with us because he is somebody who has just felt called to go. And, and what, here's what I'm really excited about that Dustin's here. Uh, please don't be offended by this, Dustin. But uh, Dustin is not that special. <laughs> Dustin is a guy who loves Jesus. And I remember a, a lot of conversations we had in high school talking late nights about Jesus. And... and uh, Dustin has uh, not lived, been perfect. I am not perfect. Dustin is following the call that God has placed on his life, just like any single one of us could. Dustin has family. Dustin's kids have grandparents who are very sad because it's going to be hard to see them go. yet they're following the call that Jesus has placed on their life. And so I'd love, Dustin, if you would come up here. Why don't you give Dustin just a, a round of applause and welcome him. I hope I didn't speak. I, Dustin's an amazing guy, okay? So that, that I thought, thought I was pretty special. <laughs> but uh, I say all that to just say that uh, I think we can get this idea when missionaries come or missionaries, you know, that this must be somebody that's just on like a different spiritual plane than me, and that's not something that I could ever do and that's just simply not the case and uh, so I'd love for you Dustin if you wouldn't mind just kind of share a little bit about uh, your background and kind of how you got to the place now where you just feel the call to go and preach Christ where he's never been named yeah so actually before we do that we got a picture sorry, we got a picture of his family if you would maybe just kind of uh, we can put that up here and just yeah yeah, yeah there they are um, I have three kiddos, uh, and they're all born in September. Uh, so this September, they're going to be eight, six, and three. Um, my wife, Angela, and then Micaiah, Judah, and Adelaide. Um, we love them, and sometimes we wish we could get rid of them at the same time. So. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, guys, I'm so thankful to be here. It's really an honor. It's so fun to be sitting under Mike's teaching. It's been um, quite a joy to see how the Lord has used him. And so thank you for having us. Um, this, this journey for us has not been one that's just been, you know, within the last year. This has been a long time coming, um, since 2006, actually. And I didn't share this in the first service, but I think this is important, that um, 
when I was at a camp, um, I felt that, that the Lord revealed to me what it meant to be a living sacrifice. Um, at that point, even in high school, I was, I was living my life for me. I was living what, what I thought I should. You know, it was the American dream, so to speak. I was ready for that. I wanted that. Um, and the Lord revealed to me, hey, I'm your Savior. You've got the good part of me, but you're still your Lord. Mm. You know, I was, I was living my life for me, even though I looked pretty good on the outside, even though I claimed Jesus as my Savior, but, but my life looked, in my heart, looked very different. Mm. And, and it was at that point where I felt that the Lord really said, hey, if this is true, then give your life to me. Give it all to me. Yeah. And uh, it was at that point where he said, I felt like he was saying, you know, go ahead with, with moving overseas. And that's been a long journey since 2006. Um, but that video really sums up our heart in that this is God's heart. This is, it's God's hearts for the nations, for all peoples to know him and be saved by him. Um, and I, th- I think that's what Mike's trying to convey to you guys is that it's, it's the heart of the church, his bride. He wants to be with us. He wants to, he wants to love us and save us from destruction. And so I have a, a few verses, um, 60 of them here, actually. <laughs> And uh, that's not all of them, but Mike made me cut it short. I guess that was too many. So um, I do want to read a few of them, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of be a little bit of a summation of what's been said over the last couple of weeks, but I feel it's so important to understand why I'm compelled and why I believe Tipton, Rock Perry, you ought to be compelled as well in some form or fashion. Now, Mike's right. Not everybody's going to go, but we're all, we're all missionaries, whether you're on mission there or you're on mission here. And I think that the Big C Church really needs to understand that this, is, this needs to look different. Um, this isn't a Matthew 28 thing. It's been, a, it's been streamed, streamlined all the way through the book of, uh, of, of the Bible. And so I'm just going to speed read through these. So forgive me. If you want the list, I'll give it to you. But um, let's just read a couple of them. First Chronicles 16, 23, and 24. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth will remember the Lord and turn to him, and all families of the nations will bow down before him. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 67, that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Psalm 86, all nations you have made will come and worship you. They will bring glory to your name. Psalm 96, declare among the nations his marvelous deeds amongst all people. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. Do you catch the theme? I haven't even gotten to the Great Commission yet, but you're catching it, right? Let me just try to help reiterate a little bit more. Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. Love this one, Isaiah 49, the Lord says it's too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore only the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 56, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I'm going to skip a few because I know Mike's getting fidgety over here. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts 2.17, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all peoples. Acts 13 For this is what the Lord has commanded us, that I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth in this 
beautiful one in Revelation. That after I looked, there was a great multitude that no one could count. That from every tribe, every nation, every people and language are standing before the throne of God. So the question was, why am I compelled? It's because it's my Savior's heart. I must be compelled. Amen. And that's what, it's so good, and it's exactly too, goes along with what we talked about last week, that if our motivation is just simply the unreached, then that motivation is going to wane when those unreached become hard to love or even worse, start persecuting you because you're bringing the gospel to them, right? Our motivation has to be God's glory, and it has to come from God's word. That's so good. And what, one thing I love is that you guys originally, as a family, you've been praying about going into missions in some capacity, and you felt like you were going to go, you have a medical background, and you felt like you were going to go to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, 99.9% of churches out there, if somebody came and said, I'm going to go and be a medical missionary in South Africa, would be like, that sounds amazing. And yet your church reacted a little bit differently to that. Can you kind of explain how you've gone from thinking you're going to South Africa to that shifting in your mind? Yeah, Yeah, they shot us down (laughs) Um, in love. But um, what they did in their office when we we shared this was they pulled up a map of America on one monitor of their computer and on the other one, a monitor of South Africa. It was on the Joshua Project. what they were trying to show us was that although there's great need, there's so much good to be done, and there has to be emphasis on this. There, it, we can't forsake a brother in need, right? You're worse than an unbeliever if so. Yeah. Um, so we got to emphasize this. It's a tension to walk, but so much need in South Africa, but in terms of evangelism, of gospel movement, of churches being there, a country in Africa, theoretically, technically, was better off than America. And so what they said was, the church is established, the church is there, let's let the church be the church. We have focus on that area of the world that was ripped out, if you remember it, the 1040 window, where, the, where 90% of the unreached peoples of this world are. That's where we need to focus our attention. And can I just pause, I didn't say yeah. this first service, yeah. that, that number 7,500 seems so burdensome. It does. But we know that the promise is that even the gates of hell cannot overcome Christ's church. He is a covenant-keeping God. He will keep it, and he, we know that the church will do that. And there's a lot of statistics thrown out there. I'm going to throw one more. There's 900 churches for every unreached people group. That's a lot of unreached people groups. But there's 900 to 1. It is so possible. It is in our lifetime, our generation, this could be done. But there has to be a shift in that great imbalance. So I hope that Amen. maybe some of this yeah. is, is bringing awareness to that as we share at other churches in our journey of prepping to go. Yeah. Amen. And two, I think one of the things that's just, as we talk about these things, it's just, uh, there's, there's a lot of need here. We see it and we feel it. We feel it every day. And I think the the question is, is there a danger if we almost focus too much on the unreached, on people uh, that we don't see, that we're going to lose sight of or neglect the needs that are right here um, where God has placed us? And so if you could speak to that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I've had quite a few conversations where people, where I'm trying to kind of, you know, encourage them to come with me. Like, why don't you come with me? And they're like, no, there's people that need Jesus here. Um, and they're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But what I firmly believe in my heart 
is that if your heart is for the nations, if your heart is for the advancement of the gospel, if your heart is for people to be saved and know your Savior across the world and you're focused on on proclaiming the good news, a natural byproduct and outpouring will be for your physical neighbors. I think that you you will not be able to neglect your neighbors if your focus is on the nations. You'll be so focused on showing and spreading and sharing the love of Jesus that when you see your neighbor who might not look like you, you're going to be more aware of the nations. Mike said that Tipton is a lot like my, church, my hometown when I grew up. And I'll tell you, if, if it's like that, there are internationals here. You might not know it, but if you open your eyes, I promise you there are. Well, I would be shocked if there aren't. <laughs> but the nations are here, and you're very close to Indianapolis, right? I mean, it's not, you're close. You know, it's, it's been beautiful for me when I've been focused on the nations and in our apartment this last year, how we spent so much time with people from India, with people from North Africa. It was a natural byproduct because we were focused on that, that we actually fell in love with our neighbors on a whole nother level than what we would have otherwise, I think. Amen. Um, All right, let's get real here, because uh, talking about things that are really hard, talking about even uh, sending some of our own potentially to the nations, and I certainly think there's probably some sentiment. I could feel this myself. Uh, Pastor Mike, that's great if you want to send some people from our church. You better not send my grandbaby, right? You better not send my son or my daughter or me. And uh, there's a real, I mean, let's just be honest about it, right? This is not something that's easy at all. This is not something that is quick. There's no quick fix for this. And there's no way to do this without just major sacrifice. And so for you guys with a beautiful family, and uh, uh, how are you processing that? How are you processing the, um, the sacrifice, the cost, how are you counting the cost, I guess, and with your family and all these things, if you could just talk a little bit about what that's been like for you. Um, yeah, these, these questions, Mike gave me a head up, heads up before we came, and I told him, I was like, oh, I'm going to cry if you ask me that <laughs> one. <laughs> and I did cry in the first service, but I wasn't a blubbering mess, so I'm going to pray that I, I won't be again today, or in this service, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's been a journey. Like we said, I mean, it's been a long time. It hasn't been just this bomb that's been dropped in our lap and we got to go right now. Um, we've, we've never owned a house on strategy uh, for the time to go. Um, but recently, we've moved uh, over the last several years from a super trendy loft uh, downtown, which we loved, uh, to uh, a home. And we were able to move a lot of things out. And then out of this home that we rented, we then sold a bunch of things and moved down to an apartment that was 900 square feet. And since then, we've sold almost everything that we've had, and we now live uh, in some missions houses. And so this is a process that's taken time, and it's been really hard. You don't realize how much you hold on to your stuff until you have to get rid of it. I'm being videotaped, aren't <laughs> Or for your kids to say, Dad, why are you selling that? Don't give my toys away. 
Yeah. It's been a journey because we want our kids to be, they're going to be missionary kids, but we want them to be kid missionaries. So conveying God's heart to them, how do you do that to an eight, six, and three-year-old? But more than that, you know, our, our hopes is to go to that area of the world that's, that is unreached. It's a hard place. There's persecution. There's sex trafficking. There's abduction. Um, where we're going for foreigners, um, sex trafficking is one of the, the, the top crimes against foreigners. You know, and I've got a beautiful wife and a beautiful little blonde-headed baby that's going to be a hot price. You know, so working through these things, it's kind of morbid, but I felt like the Lord had to actually take me through this phase of envisioning each of my children over a long period of time. It took me. But envisioning them in the worst possible scenario and, and saying, am I still worth it? It's a really hard place to get to. But yeah, the answer at the end of all of it is Jesus is still worth it. Amen. I'm going to do everything I can that that doesn't happen, right? I'm going to, I'll give my life for them, but it does happen. That's the reality. So there's a cost that needs to be counted. In Luke 14, it talks about the cost of discipleship. Jesus tells them that you must hate your mother, your father, your, your son, your daughter, yes, even your own life in order to be my disciple. And it's, it's taken a while <laughs> to say to the world, Lord, it might look like I hate them because I love you so much. And so there has been an immense amount of sanctification in my own heart that's so much to still happen, but it's been hard. It's been scary. Really scary. And I'm not even there yet. <laughs> so I think with the tension between international missions and local ministries, there's, there's kind of like a both, both or a, an and or. Um, do they kind of compete? But I've, I believe that they really uh, complement each other. I think that people like me, who are super scared and emotional, <laughs> We need the church to be on mission for us, with us, to call us, to text us, to, to email us, to pray for us. You always talk about, like, yeah, they need money, they need finances. Yeah, we need that, but what we need is the love of the church. We need the support. So these 7,500 people groups out here that, that don't know Jesus aren't going to get known if the church doesn't love the people that they send well. So I would challenge you, Tipton, as you come behind this fearless leader and you send out your own, that you would love them well. I know there's people up on the wall out there. Love them well. It's hard. Amen. Amen. Uh, how can we be praying for you? How can we, what's your timeline? What are your kind of, what's going on with you guys? And, and how can we be praying for you? Yeah. So COVID, COVID has messed up everybody's lives. Um, and so it's, it's messed up our timeline. We were trajectory towards uh, November was our plan, but the visa offices still aren't open because some of the areas in Asia have been ravaged so hard that, that they say we're not, we're not even letting tourists in or whomever, you know, um, foreigners in. And so just pray that logistically that that would come through. Um, and then pray for my family and I. Um, my dad's in the hospital, and so it's just kind of a hard 
time to be in right now is we're, we're looking to leave and, and there's a lot of other junk right now. Um, and just that we would, we would stay focused on the prize, you know, that we would run this race well, that we would continue to make it our ambition to preach the gospel. Amen.